We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with Aston Villa under-21 head coach, Tony Cars. Again, before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company, Capel. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England-based clothing brand strives to bring premium aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's podcast. Here is a snippet of what to expect. Coaches should have coaches at the elite level. And the reason for that is that, and these are, again, Guardiola's words, talking about Manel Estiate, who is his full-time employed by Man City coach, a life coach, personal coach, whatever you want to call it. He says that with Manel around, I feel less lonely. I feel heard and seen. And so that seems valuable to me. One person, think about how many people we employ within football clubs and Pep, whilst we copy everything else that he does, literally everything else, there are books, every drill he's ever done is on YouTube right now. And tomorrow after this game, we're going to talk endlessly about everything that happened in the game that's coming up against Arsenal. What I want to point out is Behind the scenes, he has someone dedicated to him and his performance who's just there to listen to him, to be with him in those silent moments, to help with the inputs into Pep's coaching and help him perform at a high level. Let's look at that as well. If we're going to copy everything the man does, let's look at that one role and say he has a coach, the top coach in the top league, in the top sport in the world, who we think shouldn't need someone there to support him because he's got all the skills. He still has someone there to deal with his loneliness and to be dedicated to, to his performance. That's worthwhile us exploring how more of us get that. As you heard in the snippet, coaches should have coaches. Today's guest learned that firsthand, which led him on a path of exploration to where he is today. We're excited to welcome Cody Royal onto this episode of the Golders Podcast. Cody is the former head coach of AFL Team Canada, author of The Tough Stuff and Where Others Want, and now coach of Elite Head Coaches. Cody, thank you for your time today and welcome to the Golders Podcast. Fellas, thanks for having me. It's great to get to connect with you guys. I've been following your work. We have a book in the same category, so I've kind of known of you guys for a long time. So absolutely delighted to get to chat properly. Yeah, likewise, we're we're, we're excited to have you with us today. And I think you probably know the, the first question. So to us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? Well, who am I to argue with your definition of it? I think that's a great one. And I, I like that you've carried that through your work. Um, but I think what we're really talking about there is is a celebration of humanity, really, isn't it? Like knowledge and passing knowledge and 
it's central to to humanity and and uh that's one of the things that i'm interested in within sport is that we it's a people business and we we get to deal with people and we get to celebrate humanity and we kind of look at these achievements now and trophies and these kind of things in a particular way but really it's uh, you know they're, they're humans going out and doing them there's a lot of sweat and soul and heart and um angst and all these different things embedded in in achievement and in competition and and so i i think that's what gold dust is is really a celebration of all of those things that are uniquely human and we're lucky in sport that they're right in front of us every single day because other industries not so much what a wonderful definition I've got a question, another question here, Cody, for, for those so that we get a a link from those that are less familiar with who you are. Could you share with us a little bit of your, your backstory in sports? Yes, yeah, so I was born in Canberra, which when I was born there was a rugby league stronghold. And I know you guys are from a part of the world uh, similarly minded. Um, back then... We were famous for the Canberra Raiders, and that was about it. And so uh, it was actually, uh, I was telling you guys when you got in touch with me, seeing Mel Meninga had been on the show was uh, what got me over the line. <laughs> uh, he was the captain at the time when I was there and my hero. And I've, my most valuable uh, photo that I've got is me sitting on his lap when I was six and he signed my poster. Uh, we moved, though, when I was eight or nine down to Melbourne, um, and Melbourne was an Aussie rules stronghold and is the centre of the, the AFL. And so I, I switched sports, ended up playing, um, you know, at a high level uh, within the AFL pathway system, didn't get drafted, uh, fell out of love with the sport after that happened. I didn't really want to, you know, none of the university courses interested me, uh, didn't really know what to do with myself and ended up coaching at 23. And so I uh, got in very early and uh, moved to Canada when I was 25, ended up coaching here at the local level and then the international level. So I coached Canada's men's national team. And I'm a writer by trade. And so I started writing about my coaching journey and some of the things that I was experiencing. And those two worlds ended up coming together in that I've started blogs and then those became books. And it's kind of how I've ended up here is a, a bit of a mixture of coaching, you know, at the elite amateur level and writing about that experience and, um, you know, sharing as I'm going through it. So my idea was rather than trying to have all this great success and climb the ladder and, and end up with an autobiography at 60 and tell the stories backwards and you tell particular stories when you're looking at it backwards, what happens if I shared the whole way along and I share what I'm thinking, how I'm thinking, the, the periods, the ups and downs that I'm going through? What if you follow me along through that so that we can learn now rather than kind of getting, you know, we don't need more, Everyone tells you know drinking stories with Gazza and all that sort of stuff in their autobiographies. Like it's not valuable. The value is the here and now. So yeah, that's how I've ended up here. I've written two books where others won't, and the tough stuff. And most people, potentially if they've found me recently, it's been through the the tough stuff. 
I think we'll we'll touch on that now, Cody. Obviously, you mentioned there about writing the book through the process of doing what you were doing. And the book that you just mentioned, The Tough Stuff, Seven Hard Truths About Being a Head Coach, is really something that probably wasn't overly explored. And probably even now, people go into it and don't really understand the difficulties that they may face. So for you, what was it that really triggered you to to write that book? Yeah, they they say that the best books are the ones that you need to read. And so I wrote the book that I needed to read at the time. I went through a situation where, you know, I was uh, 15 years as a head coach. I'd won things at every level that I'd coached at. Uh, had my team set up perfectly. It was my culture, my team, my players, my rules, my game plan, my jersey. And I thought I had it figured out, you know, even as a 36 or 37-year-old or whatever I was at the time. And then I got a call one day at work and and one of my players had taken his own life. And, um, you know, I can still picture where I was. I can still feel the blood rushing from my head. I stood in the middle of an open bullpen in a corporate office motionless for a couple of minutes before I managed to get myself into a private meeting room. Like I, I can still put myself there. And it's one of the most traumatic things that I wouldn't wish on anyone. And unfortunately a lot more people are having to deal with it these days, but uh, you know, I didn't know how to deal with that. And I was lucky in that I have people around me that I could call who a little bit more experience than me and offer some mentorship. But what I couldn't find was resources about, you know, the emotional toll of coaching and and what actually, what you go through on a day-to-day basis. And so, you know, not too long after that, about a month later, COVID happened. And so basically all coaches were going through, (laughs) you know, a a reckoning. We thought all the leagues were going to fold and the money was going to go away and, you know, all the leagues were going to collapse and all these coaches were going to you know, their identities that were wrapped up in coaching were going to be no more. And so everyone kind of went through this thing at the same time. But yeah, I, I wrote the book because of the experience, but also uh, I recognized that in others that were going through a similar thing at the same time. And then I, I noticed that there was nothing about one, that the actual experience of coaching from a personal, like a lived experience and then uh, certainly not with at the emotional level, like at the real human level of what the experience is like. There's a million books on tactics, but we forget that coaches are humans too and they have an experience and, and it can be tough and that's why it's called the tough stuff. Well, I recently bought your book and just prior to doing this podcast, uh, as I always like to, is to to find out a little bit more, get a, get a little feel of who our guests are likely to be. And uh, having bought the book, the line of questions have completely changed. Uh, Good. Because it is a riveting read. There's no doubt about it. It goes into a coach's roles from a slightly different perspective. But why do you believe you're the perfect person to write a book 
about the tough stuff of being an egg coach? Yeah, there's a couple of reasons and you'll probably know what I wrote better than, than I, <laughs> I do Keith, because I'm sure you guys are a little bit similar. You, after writing something, you, you kind of forget it's, <laughs> um, you don't want to see your own words anymore, but there's a couple of reasons. One is I've been through what I've been a head coach and we learn, and I think I think the AIS did a study on this. We want to learn from each other. Coaches want to learn from other coaches. I think we're sick of being told by academics and this group and that group, like how we should do things. This is a very strong collective that we want to learn from each other. So I I, I was fortunate that I ticked that box, and and you know not just. I was a coach for two years. I'm 15 years in. I've I've seen some stuff and had to deal with some situations. Um, but then also, you know, I've I've been fortunate in my pathway in that it's allowed me to be around and observe, you know, from the outside, but also the inside. And so I've kind of been fortunate in that, you know, I people in Canada don't know what Aussie rules is. They don't know what the AFL is. They think it's rugby. And so we're kind of an outsider. We, But at the same time, I was a national team coach. And so I'd get invited to conferences with, you know, John Herdman and, and Bev Priestman and, you know, the, the football team coaches. And like, oh, you know, so I've been in this weird dynamic of being, a you know, a close outsider. And so what that allows you to do is observe things from a completely different angle. And potentially that's one of the reasons that Tough Stuff did okay was that it was someone who's close enough to it but also been through it that, you know, it wasn't a judgmental book like or a judgmental portrayal of coaching like we tend to get from other people who haven't done it. Uh, you should be doing all these things. Whereas I kind of came in and said, all the things you're doing, 95% of them are probably fine. And I've done them and we've all done them and we need to go through them and learn. And so it was a little bit of a different angle. And, and I think that helps. It helps when it's one of your own rather than someone from the outside who, you know, again, just doesn't quite get the nuance of it. I know when we have a lived experience, Cody, the, we're just in a very narrow, very narrow window of what reality is because it's just our window. So we then get these formed our beliefs and what we value, but actually when, when it becomes more external, where you're seeing things from a different perspective, from a different egg coach's point of view, is that how, is that how the book was basically shared? Because I know you've travelled and I know you've been around, and we'll delve into it a little later, but I know you've been around many other coaches from different sports, from different countries. Yeah, if I were to just go off the feedback that I've gotten from coaches who've read the book, one of the things that they've really appreciated was all the all the hard truths or the experiences. They thought that they were the only one struggling through that. And so what they've said to me is that it's given them some insight that it's not just the North American thing. It's not just a British thing or it's not just an Australian thing or a New Zealand thing that they've seen head coaching through a different light in that all the challenges that we're going through in the major team sports all around the world, we, we have similar struggles. And so that's a different window for them to look through, but someone looking with similar eyes to them, 
And and I think that's, uh, like I said earlier, I think we want to learn from our peers and our colleagues more than some lecturer. And so when you give them that insight that actually, whilst on the TV, it might look like your peers are doing well, there's there's this over here that, that suggests that they might be struggling with the same things you are as well. And so there's there's a little bit of community in the struggle, I think, which at least helps people you know, get out of bed in the morning and go, I'm not the only one. When you and I connected uh, just over a week ago, the following day I was myself was with a head coach of a of a of a big club. And we got into talking about books and it was coincidental. I know I text you shortly after I'd spoke and been spent a wonderful day. Uh, around uh, around players and this particular coach that will at some point be coming on the podcast. But he, he started to talk about other books. And uh, funnily enough, the first book they brought up was yours, which is The Tough Stuff. And I didn't quite register what he'd said. And I said, just remind me the book. And it was the author. And then when he mentioned your name, so it just shows the power of where your book is across the Atlantic and it's spread far and far and wide. And from my perspective, and obviously from those that are in those coaching roles, it's obviously it's got some lots of popularity. So all credit to the quality of the writing, uh, but equally it's the content within it. So I've got to share that one. Thank you. It's nice to hear. Well, Cody, just moving on from that in the book, you talk about head coaching not being what you expected. When you when you say that, what do you mean? Yeah, so one of the things that's striking about when you really listen to coaches and new coaches, new head coaches across different sports is how once they get into the seat, the head coaching seat, even if they've done a 20-year apprenticeship or they've done no apprenticeship, it doesn't seem to matter. Once they sit down, there are things, there are nuances within the role that they didn't know about, couldn't comprehend, you know, were completely different from what they expected. And I'm talking people that from the outside looking in, we would say would know. So the examples that I give, for instance, Frank Lampard has talked about you know, there's you've got to deal with a hundred problems before you even get to planning the session. Now, Frank, as a player, obviously long career, but we forget as well. Grew up around his dad, who was playing. Like this is someone who's immersed in sport, and then to get to a head coaching role and go, oh, geez, this is this is different than I thought. I think that's noteworthy. Uh, Stephen Gerrard's talked about the same thing. A lot of the NFL coaches have talked about the same thing. And so what I'm saying is that what we've built as a pathway for coaches isn't actually preparing them for the real lived experience, the real job. And I think it's worth pointing out because it's the start of a lot of the struggles that head coaches are going through at the moment, I would suggest, in that they get into the role and then, it doesn't actually feel like what I've spent my 10 years doing my badges and then I get into the job and I'm not prepared. Like how is that possible? How does that work? 
it shouldn't be like that. Um, and so then we, we kind of leave them to their own devices. I, you're the head, you go and figure it out. Uh, I just, I think we need to talk about that a little bit more. I think there's a better way. And it's just noteworthy that people that even think that they're prepared and have been around their sport for decades and decades get into this one particular leadership role and it's different from what they expected. So chapter two uh, in your book is titled Your Fiercest Rival is Yourself. Go on, you'll have to unravel that one for us. Well, we often think in competitive sport that our fiercest rival is going to be the opposition, don't we? And, you know, we're sitting here later this afternoon, Arsenal play Man City, you know, calling it a title decider and it's all, you know, Pep and Mikel and all this kind of thing. And it's this, this combative rivalry that, that, that we love the, the, the pageantry of sport and the, you know, the, the competitive cauldron and all those kind of things. But the reality is to have any sort of longevity in the sport is you're going to have to deal with yourself and your personal challenges a hell of a lot more than you're going to have to deal with man city. And what's great about the two coaches that are about to go into competition tonight is Guardiola has spoken endlessly about the loneliness of head coaching. And he quotes Marcelo Bielsa, who's also talked about the loneliness and how isolated you become and how it feels like no one's on your side. And Mikel was under Pep and that, that's the one message that he passed down. You know, when they say on the, on the Arsenal documentary on Amazon, what did you take away from Pep? He said, he told me it's the loneliest job in the world. You know, so you would think it would be some some competitive thing, some tactical thing. Here's how you beat, you know, your competition. But the message being passed down from Bielsa to Guardiola to Arteta is it's lonely and you need to figure out a way to combat the loneliness of the job before you can go and conquer the opposition. And so it's a little bit of a, you know, a 180 from what many people think. And again, just another example of how we're probably not really preparing people for what the actual experience of the role is. We put them through 10 years of tactical training to beat the opposition. Do we give them enough skills or enough awareness to be able to deal with the actual, you know, the actual challenge, which is mastering themselves? On on the back of that, I think you actually talk about it in the book in terms of Eddie Jones, former Japan, England, Australian uh, rugby union head coach. He actually said it. He said, being a a head coach is, is the loneliest job in the world. And um, you've just talked about the other examples. So obviously Pep, Guardiola, Mikel Arteta come from Marcelo Bielsa, of course, as well, that all these people are facing this, I don't want to say issue, but the facing the same experiences in terms of being lonely. In your opinion, how could you prepare for that role or prepare to have those experiences and be be more well equipped? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's a certain reality to it, and that is that it, uh, the way that I describe it is: how do you learn to be president of the United States? 
And how you learn to be president of the United States is you become the president of the United States. <laughs> and there's a certain amount of things that you just can't know until you get into that role, no matter how many you know, uh, dignitary roles you have and being the vice president and all that sort of thing. It's, it's kind of what we're talking about earlier. But there are some things that we can look at, you know, certainly the pathways. I think it's a flawed idea that you be, be an assistant coach for 20 years only and you just work your way up through the pipeline and then you become the head coach at the end of that. I think there are ways that we can look at, particularly with, you know, we've identified high talent coaches, every, every league, uh, you know, I work with a lot of them. They all know who the next group coming through are and they've identified them and they're looking to pour resources into them. Well, can we, can we put them into head coaching roles, even at lower levels as part of the pathway so they can experience even on a smaller level, what it's, what it's like, what the pressure feels like, what the loneliness feels like, what it, what it's, you know, how do you communicate up? How do you manage up? How do you deal with your own chairman? Even at a completely lower level, you know, the the interactions within the club, how do you actually feel it before you go into the, the ultimate role? And that's not to say that it's the only way, but it's just what I want to point out is it's striking how many coaches have talked about the getting into the role and, and essentially having personal uh, challenges within the role. And so, you know, let's look at the pathways. And then the other way is coaching. Coaches should have coaches at the elite level. And the reason for that is that, and these are, again, Guardiola's words, talking about Manel Estiate, who is his full-time employed by Man City coach, a life coach, personal coach, whatever you want to call it. He says that, with Manel around, I feel less lonely. I feel heard and seen. And so that seems valuable to me. One person, think about how many people we employ within football clubs and Pep, whilst we copy everything else that he does, literally everything else, there are books, every drill he's ever done is on YouTube right now. And tomorrow after this game, we're going to talk endlessly about everything that happened in the game that's coming up against Arsenal. What I want to point out is behind the scenes, he has someone dedicated to him and his performance who's just there to listen to him, to be with him in those silent moments, to help with the inputs into Pep's coaching and help him perform at a high level. Let's look at that as well. If we're going to copy everything the man does, let's look at that one role and say he has a coach the top coach in the top league in the top sport in the world who we think shouldn't need someone there to support him because he's got all the skills. He still has someone there to deal with his loneliness and to be dedicated to, to his performance. That's worthwhile us exploring how more of us get that. I think it's a great point around having that mentor or support or a coach to help the coach. And obviously in in Pep's position, he's got someone in a full-time role. I, I just want to go back to the other part of what you said around just coaching at a a lower level, starting off, or in a in a less pressured environment, so to speak. And I think Graham Potter, obviously they're at, 
at, at Chelsea right now are not getting the results they necessarily want. But he started what in what was the ninth tier of English football in a, in a head coach role. And I think the reality is he was a player. It wasn't like he just came out of the wilderness. He played and then he went down his own route. And obviously, I think everyone has their own path and route that they want to take. But he chose that one. So ninth tier, then obviously went over to Sweden, which is a little bit more pressure then went into another role with a little bit more then Brighton. And now you're at one of the biggest clubs in the world. And I actually saw a really, a really good interview today where Graham Potter got asked the question. I don't know if you've seen it. He got asked a question about his anger and why he never seems angry. And his response I thought was absolutely brilliant. And the perception is because the question for, for the listeners that was posed was, Former players are saying that you should be more angry on the you should be angrier on the touchline. Yeah. And his rebuttal to that was should I be angry basically because you're telling me to be angry? I get angry. Everybody gets angry. It's emotion. But I think over the period of experiences that he's had, he's learned to regulate his emotions. He's learned to probably handle pressures. And even though things aren't going necessarily as well as he would want right now at Chelsea, he looks somewhat like, he looks like he's in control. And I'm sure that's come through a plethora of experience that he's had, but I just wanted to go back to that because I think he's a really good example of someone that's worked his way up from probably a little bit of pressure to now exponential pressure, but has learned through the experiences through that. Yeah, and it's a great example and I did see it and... I have a lot of thoughts on this, particularly because I actually include uh, something in the presentations that I do around, I call it, why are you kicking the water bottles? And it's precisely about this, right? Like in what worlds did we think that that's coaching and that's passion? Um, and and that that's in any way impactful on what we think it is. Um and I really question that. And then, but, but even within that, right? Like, so let's look at this scenario. So someone with that amount of experience that's coached at all sorts of different levels and is an incredibly great coach, even when he, even when he gets to the top, right? Imagine the loneliness of getting to coach Chelsea and then the response being, you're not angry enough. So despite all of this achievement, from coaching in the Swedish fourth tier, mind you, all the all the way up to beating Arsenal with Ustersund, um, and then getting to to jump to all these different opportunities, and the response is, you should be angrier because we don't think you're passionate enough. What absolute bollocks! And and again, so like this is what we put head coaches through. One of the fine, one of the finest coaches in the country, and and Gareth has to deal with this too. So two of the finest coaches in the country are being alienated for not being maniacs on the sideline. Uh, we we can just be so much better than that, and we can rethink that. And you know, at the end of the day, the reason I I do why you're kicking the water bottles is because what we say is we want our players to be calm and collected, and you know, when the game when there's you know, maybe a little bit of niggle in the game or 
uh, you know, it's getting tight and it's getting late. Like, you know, don't, we want you to be calm and methodical. And, and meanwhile, this maniac on the sidelines kicking the water bottles. Uh, we're taking our lead from him. So why am I being calm? He, he's not even playing and he's throwing the water bottles into the, into the crowd. Like, uh, yeah, it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And yeah, um, it's so interesting that it, that it came up and I thought his response was brilliant too, David. Like it was, <laughs> you know, this is someone who I think he did his degree or his master's in emotional intelligence, right? Yeah, Imagine being a maniac on the sideline with a degree. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, I think he's, he's actually got two in and around the same topic and he's got a, like a degree and a master's and, but I, it, it, I think it goes back to that point that you mentioned about loneliness. This is a guy that has studied over, over a lot of years around the importance of emotional intelligence and being under control. It doesn't matter what he knows because everybody's going to have their opinion. Everybody has their opinion about Gareth Southgate. Everyone will have their opinion about, uh, look, it doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, everyone's gonna have the opinion about what you should be doing or how you should have dealt with a situation. It's always easy looking from the outside in. And that element of loneliness, you're kind of icy. I feel like there's an element you can be isolated on an island. And everybody's they're on they're in ships around the outside throwing stones at you, and you've got to somehow navigate that. Yeah. This is the the exact perfect situation as well right because if you think about this in your mind you know when you're graham potter 20 years ago you're like oh how good's it going to be doing a press conference before chelsea borussia dortmund in the champions league in 2023 and i've made it i've made it I've, i've done everything that everyone asked and then the question you get before chelsea Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League on a a Wednesday night is why did you not try to obliterate the referee on the sideline? (laughs) And that would drive loneliness. That would drive a a sense of isolation. Like, is something wrong with me? Like, people are saying that the problem is me. It's not the way that we're playing. They're, They're saying that our team isn't playing well because I'm not a raving lunatic. And it's hard not to internalize that and to say, you know, and to maybe try to change or adapt your behavior or, you know, put it, put your armor up. Uh, and and this is why, this is why the work that I've done off the back of the tough stuff is so interesting because we we can look at the inputs into coaching. So how does this now change how he coaches? The inputs into him, him as a human being. Is he going to change his approach, not outwardly, but does he maybe go to protect himself a little bit more and stop maybe having conversations and and stop having difficult conversations? Or does he stop doing things because he's being attacked in this particular way? And that changes the output of Graham Potter. And so, yeah, it's a fascinating one. And I love this topic and I love that it's come up with someone like him. And I think he's the right person to maybe change some perspectives on that because in my experience, kicking the water bottles doesn't do much. I think it probably does the opposite to what most coaches think it does. And it just verifies that your players can be 
uh, maniacs on the field as well because you're showing them, um, you're leading them. Well, he certainly carries himself very well. There's no doubt about it. And I dare say, for many, could turn them to drink, which links quite nicely to the next question, in actual fact. Uh, most recently, we, we interviewed uh, former Premier League manager Brian McDermott. And, and Brian spoke openly uh, about being in the hot seat, being a manager. And when things are going well, uh, it's great. When they're not, it's an extremely lonely and challenging place to be. So dealing with the pressures and the demands of the game by, if you like, being the, the head uh, actually steered him to drink. So I know you spoke in your book about that particular topic because the pressures and demands of how do you prepare for that? You, you know, the, how we deal with it? You know, do you then internalise all the issues or do you just carry on with, you know, these entrenched beliefs that what's currently taking place is you, we are in charge and we are in control? But the influences, particularly from the English media, which at times are absolutely horrendous at, uh, at digging things up and finding out what we're not good at as opposed to the opposite and looking at what we're very capable of doing. I'm sure that's you know that's synonymous worldwide. But the interesting thing in, in listening to Brian when he came on the podcast is he did have an, a drink issue. And he woke up one morning spoke to his good lady wife who said, you, you're you going to see him. You need to go and sort this out. Unfortunately, he did, and he's now reformed, and he's a completely different character. What are your thoughts? This is the, maybe we could call it the pandemic before the pandemic. Uh, I think it would shock people to know how many head coaches in elite sport all around the world need to drink to get to sleep. Um. And it's here's the thing, right? It's not, it's not the the coaching, the it's it's never the coaching. Like on the grass and being around the lads and all that sort of stuff is not the pressure. It's not what what people struggle with. It's those everything else is the tough stuff. It's why there's nothing about being on the field in my book. It's not that's not the tough stuff. It's not the hard parts of the job, you know. And I think it it often alcohol in particular starts in a in a reasonable place right it's having a few drinks with with the, the staff or you know you're on a road trip and you you know have a, a couple of beers over dinner and it's a social thing but then it starts to become i can't sleep i'm going to have a bottle of wine to try to sleep and then it becomes two and then it becomes three and then it becomes a part of the routine and there's and particularly from what I've been told, starts around the inability to sleep and the idea that having a glass of wine or a bottle of wine is going to help me get to sleep because there's so many things going on in my head that I'm unable to to shut it down. And so, you know, what starts in a pretty reasonable place ends up being quite detrimental. And I'll give you an example over here in, in North America is a couple of years ago in the National Hockey League, Jim Montgomery was fired for alcoholism. Now, it wasn't that the team wasn't performing. In fact, he was coaching the Dallas Stars who went on to make the Stanley Cup final. So he was fired from a team that went on to make the final 
because he was unable to find a way to uh, to manage his drinking habits. And you know, so it's kind of at that level now where we're talking about really accomplished coaches who are coaching prominent teams. The teams are playing well, but the the coaches are struggling with the emotional toll of, of what they're going through, can't find a way out, have no one to talk to, have no one to go to, don't find support in in within the staff, don't find support within potentially a, a partner or don't want to talk to their partner about the stress that they're under. And so they try to deal with the pain that they're in through the ways that they know how. And society reinforces that particularly men shouldn't talk about it and should just drink. And so what what behavior do you expect out of those people? Uh, so they turn to that and then it becomes problematic. And, you know, I, I've, I've been through that as well um, from Australia. Uh, drinking is part of our culture and a strong part of our culture. And, you know, I, I would, like I said at the start, I, I think it would shock people how many head coaches feel like they need to, to have a glass of wine or a couple of beers to even get to sleep. Pretty powerful stuff, Cody. And so, so there's a there's a quote in your book. If you don't have the courage to walk alone, others will not have the courage to walk with you. How does this quote link to being in a head coach or in a in a leadership role? Yeah, I mean, it's really that the difference between right or the balance between leadership and followership, right? Like I heard. Phoenix Suns coach Monty Williams put it a, a long way, a, a, a really good way. He said, if people aren't following, you're just going on a long walk on your own. And what he means by that is that people will follow you when you have a strength of character and when you have a strength of, uh, and you have some substance to, to your humanity and who you are and why they should follow you rather than they're following you for the sake of you having a title you know, and it doesn't need to be a head coach. It could be CEO. It could be pastor. It could be, uh, you know, a whole range of different things. But when they will follow you is when you have internal strength about your leadership. And so what I'm pointing out and what the book is pointing out is the biggest roadblock to performance is perhaps you and working on yourself and dealing with what you need to deal with and learning about how you impact other people is potentially the multiple percentage points of competitive advantage that you're looking for. And perhaps it's not in some tactical thing, whether you play overlapping wingbacks or inverted wingbacks or this or that, that probably isn't going to be the leadership nugget that you're looking for. The leadership nugget that you're looking for is you. And so when you have strength of character and strength of self and some substance behind you, people will follow you and they will follow you far. I think that segues lovely into another chapter from within your book, actually, uh, which, you've, which you've titled, You're Hired for Your Brand. Unpack that for us. Why are they hired for the brand? And what do you mean by that? We hire athletes. The reason they're a professional athlete is their athletic ability primarily, right? It's their physical capabilities. 
for the most part. Yes, there are other things, uh, mindset, et cetera, et cetera. But um, essentially their ability to move to the level that we need them to move <laughs> and perform technical things uh, with a ball or a puck or a, a whatever is why we hire players. So when you look through coaching through that same lens and say, well, what do we actually do and what inputs do we need into that? What capabilities do we need to have as human beings? They all become within your brain. It's things like pattern recognition. It's things like memory. It's things like awareness. It's things like conceptualization. It's things like communication and your ability to communicate, your ability to decide from multiple different opportunities which one is going to be the best one. And so what you hide for your brain is, is that just like we ask our athletes to protect their physical resources, we send them home, we have them, uh, you know, eat certain diets, they lift weights, they train, they do all these things, we prepare them and their, their capabilities are adhered to. If we look at coaching and we look at what we do in our behaviours and our preparation to protect our mental resources so that we can communicate, so that we can pay attention, so that we can recognise patterns. We do none of those things. <laughs> we do none of the things that would benefit our ability to make the most of the resource that we're hired for. Uh, we've just talked about drink. <laughs> A terrible idea when you need to be aware, when you need to communicate, when you need to decide, when you need to have emotional intelligence and not flip out on the sideline. You know, we don't sleep. We don't make time for for silence we don't like you can go down the list and basically we don't do it we have a curfew for the players we go to the bar <laughs> we send the players for their meal and then the coaches get in the car and drive to the mcdonald's drive through like all the things that that we should do as performers to prepare and prime ourselves for a performance which is a brain game we we don't do that and so that's a chapter about, you know, again, that is as difficult to do. It's difficult to, to think about yourself in that way. But if you're looking for advantages, I would say there's plenty sitting right there. And again, it's, it's within, it's within you, it's within your control, your ability to take, take control of your own mental resources and how you allocate those resources. There's big gains there. Well, Cody, Obviously, we've we've touched on quite a bit of the book now and covered some chapters in it. Obviously, we've we've touched on some other stuff, but you also mentioned that you do work outside of that with with coaches. So you work on a, a one one to one basis, focusing on on head coach performance and well being, and you help put processes in place to uh, to ensure that they get access to coaching skills when they most need them, which like you've just touched on, the majority of that is the brain. And this is a lot of what you do. So in terms of those processes, what what do the what do the what do the processes and the principles consist of? Yeah, well, I wasn't anticipating to do this work is the first thing that I would say. When I wrote that book, I was happily coaching my team and I wanted to continue doing that, but the response to it, you know, the amount of emails and DMs that I got from the book suggested that there was a need here, a pretty dire need. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I started coaching one-on-one. I think that's the best way to impact coaches. I don't think we need more courses and lectures and um, videos. Uh, I think you can really develop trust with a coach, particularly when you're another head coach and uh, work with them on making sure that their preparation is right. And so, I mean, this <laughs> this whole podcast has basically been an ad for what I do. It's ensuring that there is structure and support infrastructure around coaches. And the idea being where we want to get to is, you know how we say we want players to play free and to play intuitively and instinctively. I want coaches to be able to do the same. I want them to be able to be in the game and aware of the game and not concerned with other things that are going on at home or what the media said about, you know, uh, whether I'm angry enough or, um, and I want to be my coaches to be hydrated and have eaten and have slept and have, you know, uh, are okay with their planning and, and what they've done and the conversations that they've had. And so, you know, it's, it is a lot of putting structures around coaches based on them. It's not, I don't have a, you have to become this person and this is Cody Royals you know, formula, magic formula for coaching success. I think that's all nonsense. It's what do you want to do, David? Who do you want to be? What sort of coach do you want to be? Do you want to be the angry coach? Because if you want to be the angry coach, I'm okay with that. I can help you be a better angry coach by doing some of these other things as well. And so it's not about being mini Cody Royals. It's about being the best version of yourself so that you can coach better. And I think that's that's important, an important distinction to make because, uh, again, uh, there's all sorts of people trying to pull coaches into their magic system and this will lead to this outcome and blah, blah, blah. But I, I, don't, I really don't believe in that. Um, I coach you to be who you want to be. And, uh, yeah, the, the great thing is with, with coaches at the elite level is when you talk about these things that we've talked about, we've given them to our players, right? So we've created structures around the players. And so when we just equate them back to the coach and say, you tell your players to eat well, how do you eat? <laughs> and a coach will go, oh yeah, pretty, pretty terribly. Like, All right, well, we can fix that, right? So we can fix that and that'll probably help with your attention and your ability to not have to, you know, uh, feel a particular way late in the afternoon or whatever it may be. And so really coaching them to be who they want to be because at the moment, frankly, there is nobody for these, these coaches to turn to. And so, yeah, I, I become that person. John Wooden's quote, uh, good coaches change games. Great coaches change people's lives. And to be able to do that, Cody, as you rightly say, players players are getting well looked after. Baru looks after the coach because they've got to put the they've got to put the hard yards in. They've got to put the hours in. First in the office, last one out. I'm not suggesting you know take a day off, but it's being very specific with the time. But making sure that you know these things that these principles of eating well, sleeping well, dietary needs, fitness stuff is actually on the radar because otherwise, as all sports do at professional levels, it will it's a thief. It will take every single second, every minute, every hour, 
every month, and it'll just take it endlessly. So I thought, well, just you know, like you're exactly spot on. Sorry to interrupt. I'll give you a, a an example from the first coach that I worked with. He said to me, "I just want you to message me every day at around noon, and just ask if I've been to the gym." That was his ask of me. So it's an accountability partner. To you can do that on your own, but me asking either prompt him to do it or come up with a response. And, and this is the thing is it's not, it's not about whether he goes to the gym or not. It's about now he has to think about it and then report into to me to say, I, I haven't today because players came into my office and so I had to deal with that. But now here's my plan for tomorrow. I'm going to go at this time. And then at noon tomorrow, the message arrives. Did you go? Yeah, yeah, I did, right? So that little accountability partner is a huge difference. It's, it's why... Any of us could walk into a gym and lift weights, but it's probably better to get a personal trainer if you want to continually improve. We could do 10 reps ourselves, but a trainer, you probably do 12 or 13. And so that's the difference. If you're looking for that little bit of little bit extra, having someone to work with helps. So Cody, how can people reach out to you? Yeah, so my website has everything you could possibly want to know about uh, some random Australian guy uh, who coaches Aussie rules in Canada, uh, codyroyal.com. All my podcasts and books and everything can be found there. And then I'm very active on Twitter as well. Um, and I use social media to be social. So if you want to talk to me there and ask questions, uh, please do. So yeah, spend quite a bit of time on there because I, I find... I find that's a great community as well. And there's some great coaches that are open to sharing and ask questions and, and help as well. So I spent a lot of time on Twitter. But I know Cody, that's, that's how we connected. So I, um, I obviously reached out to you on Twitter and um, I got to say, I'm, I'm very, very pleased and, and thankful that I did um, because obviously that short interaction has led to this today. And uh, when people ask about the podcast, I selfishly, my response is I love doing them because it's just continual personal development for me. And obviously we get these guests on that help the people that listen in too. But I know from my standpoint, selfishly today, I've sat here, we've engaged, but I've, I've listened and, You've absolutely just triggered thoughts for me and, and, and about ways that I can help improve myself. And it's been it's been excellent. I think the way that you articulate your message, but also the way that you uh, the actual messages that you portray and what they're about. I think there's a lot of people probably going through some things in roles and you're shedding a light on that. And I have no doubt you're impacting a lot of people while doing it too. So Thank you for getting back on Twitter. I appreciate that. And um, and again, in terms of today, thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely top draw. Yeah, I've enjoyed it too, fellas. And um, isn't isn't that just a gold duster? Like Twitter, you know, fire off a message to someone on on Twitter, and you know, halfway around the world, we're in three different time zones right now, three different countries, and we can jump on and and do some development and. You know, I've learned from you guys as well. So I think that's the gold dust. Mate, I'll change my answer from the start. <laughs> well, 
We'll have to. Uh, we'll have, we might have to make this one a snippet. Then we'll check. We'll just put this as a snippet and move it into the the beginning. As well. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated. And it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.